Hello, this is Donna Reish of Character, Inc., Publishing Company and Family Ministry, and Raising Kids with Character, Parenting Seminar, and Blog. Today, I would like to speak to you about a question that has been coming up a lot whenever we speak about reading and teaching children to read. I did a podcast episode uh, several weeks ago about what to do in the summer for a child who needs to learn to read or who needs to improve his or her reading during the summer months. Um, And then I also have a workshop um, entitled How to Teach Reading. And then I also have um, a workshop set called The Almost Three R's in which I talk about reading, language arts, and teaching writing, as in composition. And anytime I speak about any of those or following that podcast about working with your children in the summer on reading, I get a lot of questions about preschoolers and reading. I would invite you to go to our blog, Character Inc. blog, and search by reading, search by pre-reading, search by preschoolers, um, and so forth to get more help than what this podcast episode can give you. But today I want to answer the question, how do I prepare my child to learn to read? If you know much about us at all, you probably know that we have been homeschooling for 31 years. 31 years ago, we began homeschooling my younger sister when our first child was one year old. And I had just graduated from Ball State University uh, with an elementary education degree at that time. And um, how I actually came about to learn about homeschooling to begin with was that upon my graduation from college uh, with our little one-year-old son. Uh, He was born while I was in college. Uh, We married right out of high school. And um, I uh, read Dr. Raymond Moore's books. I was given to those. They were given to me by somebody in my church. And so I read those with interest because so much of the information that I read in Dr. Moore's books was what I had just learned in college as far as how children learn and developmental stages and differences between boys and girls and so forth. Um, And so I read those books eagerly, found out about homeschooling, realized that in homeschooling we can do exactly what I learned in college in terms of waiting for readiness, in terms of paying close attention to learning styles and to... um, the differences between boys and girls and their maturation levels and so forth. And so I jumped on the homeschooling bandwagon and I've been on it for 31 years and we have one more child at home who is going to be a junior in high school but who only has one class, one subject left, a couple of math classes, so he will be doing early entry college just like our other six children did during their junior year of high school. But at any rate, um, when I talk about preschoolers, toddlers, kindergarten children, one of the things that is very near and dear to my heart is to not push young children. And um, so with that in mind, I, I first of all want to open this before I start talking about my master's thesis and some of the things that I learned there that really, really apply to how you can prepare your child to learn to read. Um, But before I go into that, I would like to talk about readiness Um, because uh, we 
have been putting children in school earlier and earlier as the years have gone by and um, for longer periods of time. You know, when, when I was in kindergarten, you were five or six and, and you went to kindergarten and you went for a few hours, you know, in the morning and then you came home and um, your babysitter watched soap operas all afternoon and you took a nap. So anyway, but that's changed a lot nowadays. And um, I, a lot of that is based on necessity rather than on research. And so, you know, it's out of necessity that we have children a full day in kindergarten as opposed to what research really shows that four-, five-, and six-year-old children truly need. And so um, when something is based on research, and there are things in in academia, definitely, you know, in public school that, that are based on research, there are those things, but then there are other things that are based on uh, mass education, corralling, you know, large groups of children, and so forth. And so uh, it just so happens that sending children to school earlier and earlier and for longer periods of time is not really research-based. And if you study Piaget, you know, uh, any of the, the um, psychiatrists, psychologists that you study during uh, education courses, um, you will, you will find that that is true. And Dr. Raymond Moore elaborated on this in his book, Better Late Than Early. And there's also another great book, a fun book called Homegrown Kids. But the one specifically, Better Late Than Early, discusses uh, waiting for children to become ready to learn um, for formal instruction, ready for formal instruction. And he describes it and coincides it with uh, Piaget's theory of operational concrete, concrete operational when a child is eight, nine years old, up through 12, and truly everything comes together and uh, readiness to learn really, um, really occurs. So I say all that to say that um, one of my big goals in homeschooling my children was that they would love learning. And so because of that, waiting for readiness was super important to me because I knew that pushing a child when a child wasn't ready to learn anything, whether it's potty training or learning to read um, or learning to write, sitting down for formal instruction, whatever it might be, makes the child hate that activity. And so um, I, I was really, really big on waiting for readiness. As a matter of fact, our children learned to read between the ages of seven and nine. All seven of them did. And some of the ones, a couple of the ones that were closer to nine, one of them was severely dyslexic and, and she really couldn't learn to read before then. Um, a couple of others that learned between eight and nine probably could have learned earlier, but because I was so bent on being sure that they loved learning and that they loved reading, um, I didn't push it. And so um, you can find out more about that, about what to do while you wait for readiness and and so forth um, at our blog. But specifically, waiting for readiness is one of the most important things you can do to prepare your child to learn to read. Um, Stay with me because I have a lot of things to do while you're waiting for readiness um, in terms of natural teaching But um, later on in this episode. But waiting for readiness is one of the most important things that you can do for your child to prepare him or her for re- learning to read. And I just have a small list here of things that uh, are involved in readiness to learn to read. And there are other things, obviously, this is not... Um, comprehensive, but this is just a list of some things that are good to pay attention to, good to watch out for, um, especially if you have a child that you are considering waiting a year for kindergarten. We started our children in kindergarten when they were six and first grade when they were seven. Um, Listen to, read, um, uh, 
the book Outliers uh, talks about this and how the advantage to waiting, the advantage to your child being the oldest, the biggest, and the best is far superior in long-term success in life. And so um, we waited six for kindergarten, seven. Uh, Malcolm uh, Gridwell is the author of that, Outliers. Um, just a super interesting book that applies some of this research. But at any rate, we waited until six for kindergarten and seven for first grade. And so if you are on the fence uh, concerning sending your child to school especially, um, you want to really pay attention to readiness because it would probably be in your best interest to wait another year um, to send him especially, with the emphasis on him, for little boys. Um, so readiness in includes these characteristics. One, catches on to learning sounds easily. Now this is a little bit misleading um, because a lot of children can say their alphabet, they can uh, recognize their letters, and they even, you know, at early ages, and they might even know that B says ba, C says ka, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but the next one is really the crucial one, and that is talking about blending sounds. Just as a side note, if you are teaching a child to to read, and you are he is going along learning sounds easily, and you're just like, wow, this is so much easier than I thought it would be. And then you start to blend the sounds. You start to put the word families at, cat, sat, you know, whatever, ed, egg, leg, leg, meg, so forth. You start to put those families with with the beginning sounds, la, egg, ma, egg, and so forth. And um, some programs call this blending. Some programs call it chunking. Um, but uh, when then when it's time to do that, your child just seems to... to really halt in his learning, uh, this is quite possibly a sign of lack of readiness. And um, at that point, whenever that happened to, to our children, I would just say, you know what, we've been doing these sounds for so long, and you've been working so hard on all these sounds, it feels like all we do is do sounds, and we never get to do any fun reading anymore. And I said, so can we, do you mind if we don't do as many sounds and we do more fun reading for a while because you're only going to be six for a few more months or whatever and you know just make it very um, pain-free and then wait three months and then the readiness will probably be there for the child to to learn to blend or chunk those sounds but that is definitely a sign of readiness um, not memorization memorization is very different than chunking or blending um, next is can remember and recognize word families so, you know, while he might be able to do his, his letters, um, uppercase and lowercase, in isolated instances, but can he, does, can he start to understand that AT says at, and when he sees it, he knows it's at. He knows AD is at, you know, so forth. And then, then of course, that blending um, follows that. Knows parts of the body. Um, a lot of children who are not ready to learn to read cannot name you know, the elbow, knee, so on and so forth, can repeat a sentence of six to eight words in length back to you. Um, this is often um, uh, when I do private tutoring. I've seen this a lot um, where, you know, I'll say, can you say, um, somebody's been sitting in my chair like Papa Bear did, and, you know, the child will say, somebody been what now? You know, and that is just um, a, a sign of lack of readiness. Um, 
can write his own name. This is a little misleading too because penmanship is art. Um, it's not necessarily academics and it's not indicative of academic potential. Um, it's more indicative of the, their artistic ability and fine motor skills. Um, but it, it is one benchmark you can use. Now, um, you can have a dysgraphic child, a child who has terrible difficulty writing, which I had uh, one and really two with this. And, um, and so that might, it might be that that's really late in coming. Usually, a lot of times, dysgraphia comes with dyslexia. Um, which will also mean that the child won't catch on very quickly to reading and might, you might need to wait. Um, that was one of the best things that I did for my dyslexic learners. Uh, when you start teaching him, you move along at a fairly good pace without a tremendous amount of frustration. Notice I said a tremendous amount of frustration. There might be some, but it should not be such where you're both in tears every day. And lastly, and that's what I want to focus on for the rest of this audio uh, podcast episode, has a good pre-reading background. If you bring a child to the reading table with a good pre-reading background, he has these things that I'm about to talk about uh, here. Um, he has all of these things in place. The reading is going to come so much more easily to him. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about that pre-reading, what you can do to prepare your child to learn to read other than waiting for readiness. Um, and I want to talk about this from a standpoint of a natural reader. That is a reader who learns to read, a child who learns to read without any reading instruction. I did a master's thesis on natural readers, and I found it incredibly fascinating. Um, it was difficult to find studies, of course, um, because children go to school before they teach themselves to read most of the time. I mean, you do hear of children just, you know, who just start reading at age three or whatever, and they're, they're definitely natural readers. But a lot of children, potential, those who learn super quickly to read in school, potentially would have been natural readers if they hadn't gone to school or if they hadn't been instructed in how to read, you know, in homeschooling or whatever. So it's difficult to find the research on it. I did find enough for my thesis, and I also had a couple of students um, who were natural readers who were following at that time, well, it's still popular, the unschooling um, method of homeschooling uh, via its founder, John Holt. And so I was able to do my thesis on the ones that I both observed uh, in real life, as well as uh, the research. But anyway, what fascinated me about this and what really made me uh, want to share this a lot, and I have shared it in my reading workshop, as well as um, any chance I get to help parents build a reading environment in their home, and that is that if a child can learn to read all by himself without any instruction at all, in this environment, whatever this environment might be, then how much more could a child who is going to have instruction, how much easier will it be for him to learn to read? How much more quickly will it go? How much more enjoyable will it be if you have this environment for your child? So in other words, while it is a natural reader's environment that uh, the characteristics are of a these children in my study, uh, in my thesis, who learn to read without any instruction, but what if we made this environment with instruction? 
you know, how much better would that be? So I recommend that while you wait for readiness, while you wait um, your, with your preschooler, your three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, that you pre- one of the ways or many of the ways that you prepare him to learn to read is by creating or duplicating this natural reader's environment. And here are the 10 characteristics that I found in uh, the environment in the home of a natural reader. One was interaction with adults um, that, you know, I talk about this in all of our, we talk about this in all of our parenting seminars, raising kids with character, raising teens and tweens with character, reaching the heart of your tween and teen, so on and so forth, the importance of adult interaction in every area of life, the importance of parent availability is just unbelievable. And it's not just in spiritual training. It's not just in heart training. It's not just in academic training. It's not just in life skills. It's everywhere. This interaction with adults is huge. And that was one of the characteristics of a natural reader. Um, You know, if you think about the natural kind of people you know, I mean, you know, kind of footloose, you know, they used to call them hippies, so to speak, you know, just kind of just freer, so to speak, you know, just kind of uh, not really worrying about every little thing. And these children's parents are uh, available to them um, and just make themselves available. Next is much book handling by the child. Um, The children in the research as well as that I studied, they had books everywhere all the time. They, there were books in baskets all over the house. There were library baskets. There were bookcases. There were cardboard books over here. There were, paper, there were um, felt books over here. There were noisy books over here. And I just, I came home, I, uh, as my, came home with Joshua, actually, um, I had, when I did this master's thesis, I had three children. I came home, I just did everything on here to create this environment. Print abounding and interest in print. Again, everywhere there's print, everywhere. Audios and books used. These children uh, used uh, what we used to have with my kids. I, my first kids, we had like records and, and books, my older kids. And then with my younger kids, we had cassettes and, and talking books. And then at the end, Jakey had some uh, CDs as well. But the book and tape set, so to speak, you know, where they listen to the tape and they dip, they turn the page every time they hear the beep or the, or the bell or whatever, um, just using that all the time, um, and that is really bringing such a huge enjoyment of reading to the child. And when they seek that kind of stuff out, now, of course, you can do that on iPads. You can do that on, um, you know, Kindles and different readers and, and computers and so forth, uh, where not a movie, but rather a book is read and the child can follow along. And actually, so many things are taught from that. I'll get to that. Um, memorization takes place. A lot of memorizing, memorizing of books. You know, these kids are the ones who at age three can can quote back to you, you know, popcorn and the firehouse dog. And then at age four can quote back to you, you know, frog and toad, take a walk. And, you know, at age five, Amelia Bedelia, um, so on. Memorization. Interest in writing words and various language experience activities. I'm not going to get into language experience activities and the pros and cons. Um, But when you have language experience activities, that is activities that involve taking dictation for your child, writing what he says, creating books, creating uh, little booklets, um, 
doing a little art project with sentences that he, quote, dictates to you and you write. All of those things are language experience activities. And they shouldn't take the place of phonics. That was why the people were so bent out of shape 30 years ago about language experience. Um, not to take the place of phonics instruction, but uh, to augment it. Um, and these kind of kids want to do it all the time. They want to write letters to grandma. They want you to type something that they say. They want to make a pretend book. They want to take a picture and put it on a poster board and write something about it. Um, and they just have a lot of interest in words and writing uh, and reading. Uh, lots of experiences related to literacy and books. Uh, they're in the summer reading programs. They're the ones who, um, every time they get a, a, a shot at the doctor, they get to go pick out a book. Every time they lose a tooth, they get a book under the pillow, you know, those type of things where, um, uh, you know, they open a book on Christmas Eve. You know, it's just, it's just where books are super important and lots of experiences related to them. Self-regulated behavior and risk-taking in learning. Um, this is not to be confused with um, children who have a bad attitude or who um, are not uh, obedient or who do not, do not um, you know, pay attention to their parents or whatever, but they, they think a lot and they plan a lot. And these type of kids are the ones who, you know, they're already talking during chore time. You know, as soon as chores are over, I'm going to listen to that audio again, you know, and they're planning their behaviors, they're planning their activities there, and they um, pick up on things quickly because um, they have this environment where everything is learning and everything is parental um, input and so forth. And they're not afraid to take risks in learning. They're not afraid to try to sound out a word. They're not afraid to come to you and say, Mommy, is this word George in the Curious George book? And they're not afraid that you're, that it's going to be wrong. They're just, they're, they are treated with respect and, and treated in such a way that learning is so fun and exciting and educational and interesting that they're not afraid to take risks in their learning. They're read too often. Um, you know, not just an occasional story here and there, but actual story time, reading time in the morning, um, just constantly read to in bed at night, and their background of experience is rich. That is, they had experiences in a lot of things, and those experiences led to more of a desire to read. So they went to the zoo, they talked about mammals, and they wanted mammal books. You know, they, um, they went to uh, a Christmas play at Christmas time, came home and wanted to find all the different versions of the Nutcracker at the library all the different picture books of the Nutcracker. Uh, the background of experience is rich for them so that they bring so much to the reading process. When they are read to, their comprehension is high. Their um, thought processes are really great. They know things so that when you read to them and you, and you say, for example, um, the, uh, uh, the hot air balloon, you know, was... Uh, floating across the sky, they can tell you when they saw a hot air balloon and what other book a hot air balloon was in. Um, they they have a background of experience in, in doing things as a family and so forth that they bring to the reading process. So what happens in a natural reader's environment? 
Well, if you have an environment with those 10 things in it, these are some of the things that you can expect to happen. And all of these things are things that you want to be building in your pre-reader to prepare him for learning to read. He, uh, in a natural reader's environment, there is a constant contact with print. Um, it happens naturally. He's just always around print. His thinking skills are developed. His comprehension is developed. Uh, as I said, just from that rich background of experience and so forth. He has an expanded vocabulary. His enunciation and pronunciation are easily corrected naturally, and it's not a big deal. Uh, he, he learns the proper pronunciation of things because he's read too so much and talked too so much. A love of reading is instilled in him. A great need for reading is felt. When all of those things are taking place in the home, a great need for reading is felt by the child because he wants to just be able to pull out a book. I can remember my kids just, oh, oh, if I could just read, I wouldn't have to wait for you to, to have time to read to me. I, wouldn't, I, I would be able to just read this all by myself, just a, 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 a great need for reading. He recognizes and has experience with sentence patterns. This is um, left-to-right progression. It is realizing that beginning of sentences start with capital letters, possibly even realizing that sentences end with different things. Sometimes it's a period. Sometimes it's an exclamation point. Sometimes it's a question mark. Um, just a, a general um, uh, comfortableness with sentence patterns and um, print. Letters and sounds are learned naturally. One of the very best things that... Um, you know, can come out of this natural reader environment is a lot of your work being done for you. That he already knows a lot of the things that you would be doing with him in a preschool workbook, so to speak. And then finally, and the most important one to me, is that uh, kind of uh, um, off of number nine, is number 10, he learns informally things that other students take a year or more to learn in preschool, kindergarten, and even first grade. When my husband and I set out to homeschool, we had read Dr. Moore's books, as I mentioned. Um, my undergraduate was in elementary education. My master's work was in reading education. But I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, you truly learn to teach from doing it. And it was through private tutoring and through teaching my own children and then through um, testing my books and that I've learned to, to write books and I've learned to, to write curriculum and I've learned to teach and to troubleshoot and all of those things that a teacher needs to be able to do. But um, we made a, an unspoken commitment, just knowing that what we both wanted, we made a commitment to teach informally anything that we could teach informally. So our first children didn't have like preschool workbooks, kindergarten workbooks, and, and things like that. Um, we just did everything that was in the natural reader's environment um, we did unit studies, so we just had an automatic, had print and reading automatically built into our lives all the time. But we made a commitment that we would not teach formally anything that our children could learn informally. That is, we wouldn't throw books at them, workbooks at them, and, and um, seat work and so forth at them at such an early age that they wouldn't like school. Now, that turned out to be quite funny because our third child wanted workbooks, begged for workbooks. I couldn't get enough workbooks for her. And 
here I was, you know, no, no workbooks, you know, you're going to learn naturally and, and informally. Um, but what we did was we said, you know what, they can learn all of their sounds, all of their letters, you know, rhyming words, left to right progression, sentence patterns, um, lots of co comprehension, just comprehension galore, um, through informal instruction, through what we're going to do with our children every single day. And um, what will happen in this natural reading environment is that so many things will just take care of themselves. They will, many of the things that a child would learn in preschool or kindergarten or first grade will already be taken care of um, for, for you. All right, now, I know that at this time, when you're preparing to, to have your child learn to read, um, that everybody wants to work on letters and sounds, and I understand that. And so I, I really wanted to include these 20 tips about uh, working with letters and sounds pre-reading. So here I'm still talking about how to prepare your child to learn to read. I'm talking about um, informal instruction with, you know, some letter work. Um, ABC work, um, but uh, not necessarily learning to read. It's you really do not want um, your child to go into learning to read without a familiarity with letters and sounds because. Reading programs assume that the beginning consonant sounds, that capital and lowercase letters, for the most part, they either assume that those are already in place or they rush through them because they assume that your child's ready to learn to read. So um, here are just some tips to help you teach ABCs and sounds. First of all, do not put pressure on your child to write or color. Um, you might have a little girl who wants to write, write this and let me copy it, write this and let me copy it. Or you, you write it maybe lightly with a highlighter and she writes over it and she feels like she wrote a sentence or wrote her name or whatever it might be. Um, but a child can be ready to learn to read without being ready to learn to write. Now, sometimes they go beautifully together and sometimes, you know, writing does lead to reading and reading does lead to writing and all those, all those, um, maxims that we hear, but that's not always the case. And so um, fine motor skills, the ability to, to pen, to write letters and words, that's not always in place, even though the child might be ready to learn his sounds. So I wouldn't put pressure on the child to write, especially to spell. Um, it, it, that, you know, decoding is Sounding out words, encoding is the opposite. And sometimes, you know, a child can go backwards and forwards, just like we want children to be able to do with addition and subtraction or with multiplication and division. But sometimes that isn't always the case, and especially not early. With coloring, um, coloring is an art skill. Um, definitely as a child colors and he colors in the lines, he's getting more control. He's going to be able to write his letters better. All of that is true, but I still wouldn't put pressure on a child to do those things in the preschool years unless he's ready to. Um, secondly, to teach informally all the time, like I just mentioned up above, with specifically ABCs and their sounds, that means that, you know, you're always looking out the window. And, and this is really a sad thing because when our kids were little, 
we either listen to audios or we listen to mom read out loud or we played games or talked or we sang while we drove around and uh, went on trips and so forth. And you know, we didn't have videos and we didn't watch videos. We didn't have iPads and so forth. And you can learn, your child can learn a lot of these things on an iPad. That's true. But an iPad can take the place of family time. So, you know, just, just try to balance that because while you're driving down the road is the perfect time. You know, let's look for our letters. Or I'm going to find a letter and you tell me what it sounds, what the sound it, what sound it makes. You know, just teaching informally all the time, every encounter with letters and with sounds that you can possibly um, come up with. Sing the alphabet songs and other sound songs. Um, I'm going to be putting some stuff up fairly soon uh, that I've been creating to use with a new, uh, a young child who's learning her sounds. Um, who was adopted from China. So I'm going to be putting up some of the things that I'm using with her. So stay tuned. Uh, one of those things is a sound song. It's just really good to get either in rhyme or in song. That's why children learn the alphabet song so easily. Um, so do use, use songs. Um, if you have videos or audios or um, computer or iPad programs or apps that teach sounds with uh, songs or rhymes. That's great to, to use that um, because that'll be the engaging and little children are very drawn to rhymes and rhythm and a song. And so you can just utilize that to, to learn sounds as much as possible. Uh, the same thing is kind of the, the number four is the same idea using video and interactive activities to make uh, learning sounds and letters fun and easier. I can remember um, I had these cardboard books that had all, one of them was colors, one of them was numbers, and one of them was alphabet. And I would just do those every afternoon for story time. And they just, uh, it was Joshua at the time, actually, he just learned to recognize his sounds really easily, his letters and his numbers and so forth. Use repetition. Um, children really thrive on repetition. We have a tendency to think, well, he already knows his B, you know, I can move on to C, and that might be true. But if you do move on to C, be sure you're continuing to review and uh, provide repetition for the previous sounds and letters. Use ABCs on paper or poster as you sing the song. The song is good to learn, and it does give them, you know, they don't really know if LMNOP is one word or that it's separate letters or whatever. So, um, I recommend that you have the alphabet on paper or poster, and as you sing the song, point to the letters that uh, that you're saying at the time. This will help make that verbal and picture connection of the letters and help him know that LMNOP is not one word. Um, use clear fonts for teaching letters. This is important, and, and I'm just shocked, really, at uh, the teaching materials that are available with unclear fonts for teaching the letters. They have either cutesy fonts, which, um, you know, maybe with little tails and so forth, uh, which a little child who's just learning his A does not learn A with a little cutesy thing on it. It, it, it. He needs the A that looks identical to the A he's learning, not something that's a little bit different. Um, also, I'm amazed at the ones who add things to it. Like, so for T, they'll put a tail on to remind you that T begins with this, that tail begins with the same thing, begins with T, or that T says T as in tail. 
which you think, oh, wow, that's killing two birds with one stone. He's learning the sound as at the same time as he learns to recognize the letter. But that's not true because that tail is a different letter to him. So use clear fonts and beware of cutesy fonts. Call them uppercase, lowercase, capital and little, and big and little interchangeably. Um, use capital and lowercase for letter recognition. Keep in mind that most of the time the print that he sees on signs and out and about will be uppercase, but in books and sentences they will be primarily lowercase. Uh, only proper nouns and beginning of sentences will have uppercase. So uh, you want to be sure you do both for letter recognition. Use simple clue words for each sound. This this is another thing that shocks me in um, so many ABC programs uh, or, or sound programs is using a clue word that is either too long, like alligator, three syllables, or that is unclear, um, or that is something that's not in the child's vocabulary or not in his background of experience. An example of this is I saw one um, that had dirigible as its clue word for D. Um, simple, simple clue words. Um, I would even go so far as to say don't have a blend, don't have a obviously don't have a diagraph because sh does not say sa but don't have a blend don't don't have your clue word be um um uh, club for example have it be cub and make sure that it's clear that it's a cub so um be careful with your your clue words for each sound that they're very simple uh don't push learning letters and sounds if he is not ready just keep doing your in creating that environment Use signs all around, again, without pressure. I, I'd be careful not to push too much. Some of these sound very repetitive, um, and there's a reason for that. I am all about making learning as easy as it can possibly be for a child and not pushing a child to hate learning and to not even want to be with you because you're always making him try things he can't do. Um, if you do use a letter of the week, and there are programs out there that have letters of the week, um, that, that is really a good way to do it. Um, we did, I did this with a few of my kids and we did activities that started with that letter. We did crafts that start with that letter and so on. It's super fun for children. Um, but if you do that, it has to be reinforced constantly. So you have to keep going back, you know, because by the time you get to M, you know, A, B, and C, those sounds are completely lost. Um, so be sure that you reinforce it constantly. Use tactile things whenever possible, such as foam ABC puzzles. We had a lot of those puzzles that were made out of foam, and they, they, it was a very tactile experience putting the puzzles together. Um, sandpaper letters, etc., for um, uh, ABC recognition. Another thing kind of back up to that not cutesy letters is the font that is the G has a tail going to the left, the Q has a tail going to the right, the capital I has a bar at the top and a bar at the bottom. Um, these are really important because the fonts that we use on a computer are not always what a child will see in a book and so forth. So I, again, as easy as possible, as clear as possible. Um, that takes me to this uh, number 16, which is kind of what I talked about with the not using blends, but also just not unusual sounds in general. When you're doing vowels, 
do a long A, ape, a short A, axe. You know, do not do arrow or aroma or awkward, not that you would use awkward, but um, do not use different diphthongs and are controlled. Arrow is an are controlled and awkward is a diphthong. Don't use very, very simple words that have regular normal sounds, the most normal, the most consistent, the most um, prevalent one. Do not move to middle sounds or end sounds while teaching letters and sounds. I just was uh, reviewing a program uh, recently trying to get some ideas for my little student that I'm tutoring, and I was just amazed that it had, all in the same lesson, the B at the beginning of the word, the B at the, mid at the end of the word, and the B in the middle of the word. Um, the children can't hear that middle like if you say alligator, do you hear the la in alligator? The children can't hear that very easily. They have to be trained, first of all, to hear the initial sound. And it's even difficult sometimes to hear the end sound. It's easier to hear the beginning sound because you can emphasize it. You know, balloon, you know, car, um, so forth, that you can emphasize the beginning. So don't try to do too many things at the same time. Don't do the middle sound, the end sound, everything all at once. Just start with the initial consonant sounds. Um, number 19, you can Google this. Boogie board, you can look that up at, on Amazon. Uh, it's a really, it's like an adult Etch-a-Sketch, but you use a stylus. Um, and I've been using that with my students to practice their letters. Um, they really, really enjoy that. It's a lot of fun. It empties, clears, you just push the button, it clears right away if there are mistakes, and so forth. Um, and then, if you are going to use worksheets or workbooks that teach sounds, be sure that the pictures are clear. And you will have a hard time finding this, unfortunately. I can remember student teaching in a first grade class and just looking at the first, looking at the, the sheets and seeing, you know, an A for A, an arrow for A. And knowing that they just learned short A, how can they figure out that arrow is an A, you know? And they're supposed to circle the ones that begin with B, circle the ones that begin with A, and so on and so forth. Be sure the worksheet pages and the pictures are clear. You don't want an axe that just looks like a stick, um, a little bear that's so dressed up or that has a hat, and the way he's standing, you can't tell if the bear is a dog or a cat. Um, Vague things like a person speaking would be for talk. You want it to be nouns, you know, recognizable, easy nouns for their uh, beginning sound pictures if you're going to use workbook pages um, and worksheets. So I hope that this has been helpful to you, and I hope that you get my heart, first of all, in preparing your child to learn to read, and that is that you just really, really not push and that you create a learning environment that natural readers thrive in, that your children will also thrive in, and that will solve a lot of your pre-reading um, difficulties, uh, will do a lot of things naturally for your child, and also will create such a love for learning in your child. And that if you are going to work on his ABCs and his beginning sounds, um, that you take some of these tips to heart and um, do it as informally and uh, make it as enjoyable as you possibly can. Thank you for joining me today in this Wondering Wednesday. I was wondering how I prepare my child to learn to read. 
and we hope that you'll continue to join. We're about to take off on some um, efficiency in the kitchen uh, answers and also some freezer cooking questions and answers in the coming weeks. So um, be sure to join us. Thank you. This is Donna Reish of Character, Inc.